Well, good morning. Good morning. It is joy to be gathered with you here this morning. If you are visiting with us, my name is Tim. I'm the senior pastor here at Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church, and we are glad that you're here with us this morning. I'm going to save myself a few conversations this morning to tell you no baby yet. Right? For those of you who know, we're now, tomorrow is our wife, my wife's due date, and so we're, but still, no baby. Um, so, yeah, we're waiting for that, excited about that, but I'm glad that I got to be here, kind of up in the air, whether I'd be here this morning with you or not, but I'm glad I get to be here uh, for that. If you are new or visiting with us, um, there's a Connect card on the seat in front of you. We'd invite you to fill that out and pass along any information about yourself that you would like the church to have or to know. And those Connect cards can be put in the wooden boxes that are on the back wall. Um, those wooden boxes are also where tithes and offering can be placed if you want to contribute to what we're doing here as a church. Just to kind of give you a little overview of the, the schedule for this morning. So this morning we're, we're gathering for worship now. We'll be done here between 10 and 10.15. Then we eventually come downstairs and, and fellowship with us and enjoy a snack, enjoy some coffee, enjoy some time together. And then at 10.30, children's study school will start in the classrooms downstairs. And up here in the library, we'll have our final week of looking at a study called uh, Habits of the Household, talking about the ways we point our children and the next generation to, to Jesus through how we live in our household. And then also in here, um, or maybe in the library, um, at 10.45, Eric will lead a, a question and answer session um, just about the sermon a couple of announcements to bring um, to your attention. One is that coming up um, on February 15th, so this Thursday, uh, Women's Common Ground will be meeting here, and so we'd invite the women of the church to come be a part of that. That's from 6.30 to 8, this Thursday, the 15th. And then this Friday, the 16th, we're having a, a movie night here at the church, it's kind of sponsored by, hosted by, by Fun Club, right? but anyone is welcome to come. It'll be a kind of family-focused movie, but we can invite anyone to be here. It'll be a dinner beforehand. That'll start at 6 o'clock, and the movie will start at, at 6.30. So just one more thing to bring to your attention is that March 3rd, um, we'll have a, a quarterly congregational meeting. Um, and at that meeting, we'll vote on some new members, and those are posted on the back wall on your way out if you're interested in that. Um, also talk about a few uh, other things that are just happening in the life of the church that we'd like you to hear about and be a part of and to know about. <clears throat> if you've been doing our, our fighter versus scripture memory with us right, last week, um, the, the verse, this were Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. And this week, the verses to memorize are the following two verses, 11 and 12. Right? And so it's the these verses are a reminder that Trusting in the Lord rather than our own wealth and our own things are, are valuable. So I think it's a helpful verse to have in our minds. So we'd encourage you, even if you haven't been doing it up to this point, I think these verses are valuable and worthwhile. And so like, you can start now. It doesn't have to be at the start of the new year. So I encourage you to, to memorize these verses with us this week. So now we're going to transition into our, our time of kind of worship and through singing, and so before we do that, I just want to give you a moment to, to focus your mind and to set aside our concerns. We're going to do that through a moment of silence, so would you join me now as we take a few moments to be quiet before God.
So we're going to call each other to worship this morning. We're going to start by responsibly reading some scripture together. And then we're going to sing a lot of people's favorites everywhere I go. And so I'm going to give a heads up to all the kids. I see the Baumeds kids here and others. We're going to invite anybody that wants to come up and sing with us from the front. That'd be good. Chuck, you can come up too if you want. <laughs> so, but first, let's read this scripture together. Let's stand together in honor of God's, to respect God's word, and let's follow the prompts, and let's read this scripture together from the book of Psalms. Bend down, O Lord, and hear my prayer. Answer me, for I need your help. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am calling on you constantly. O Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. With all my heart, I will praise you. O Lord, my God, I will give glory to your name forever. So now all the kids that are coming up, come up now and let's just sing together. You know, anybody wants to come and be in the front row, I'd love to see a mosh pit develop here at the front of our church for songs like this. So... Let's praise the Lord together.
Amen. Thank you so much. Please have a seat. As we continue in worship, would you join me in a time of prayer? Father God, as we gather here this morning, we, we gather to remember and rejoice in and encourage one another with all the the glorious and the praiseworthy things you have done from creation to all the work you've done throughout history to bring people to yourself, to draw us to a knowledge of you, to be at work in each one of the lives that are gathered here this morning to bring us to this place for the, for the purpose of worshiping and honoring and glorifying you. So we, we honor you and we praise you for the, the mighty works you have done in our lives and the lives of our loved ones and in the lives of those throughout the world. You are a God who is mighty and worthy of praise. Father, we know that there are those right now in our church family and the lives of those around us who are just going through hard and dark times. Mm. So we pray that you would be present with them, that you would encourage them, that all the ways you have been faithful in the past would, would strengthen and encourage them now. But for those who are hurting or sick, we pray that you would bring healing where it is needed. We pray that you would bring comfort to those who are in need of that. We pray that you would work in, in mighty ways uh, the lives of those who especially need to be aware of your presence and power now. Father, we, we come this morning to worship you. We confess that our minds are often pulled in various directions. There are many times this week when we chose things of this world over obedience to you, chose our selfish desire over doing what you have called us to do. And so we come and we confess that we are far from perfect, but we trust that because of Jesus our sins are forgiven and that you that love us, are still faithful to us. We are made right in your sight by what Jesus has done for us. And so above all else, we, we praise you and we thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us, to forgive our sins and to, to make us right with you. And for that, we rejoice. So this morning be all about rejoicing and bringing honor and glory to your name. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So at the end of our service today, we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper, a time when we reflect on how Jesus has redeemed us. So we'll be giving a chance to reflect on your redemption story. At this time, we're going to watch a video from the series, The Chosen. 
in which Mary Magdalene and Nicodemus have a conversation where Mary relates her redemption story. Just a little back, background before we watch this video. So in the previous episode, Mary had been uh, struggling with her life of addiction to gambling, alcohol, and other issues that she had in her life. Jesus came, sought her out, and healed her. Just prior to that, though, Nicodemus had been called in by the Romans to try to exorcise the demons that were tormenting her. And so that's going to show up in this conversation. But let's watch as Mary Magdalene tells us her redemption story. I got them. At least I think they're right. That's what everyone else was getting. Oh, what did you get, Maddie? Shabbat candles. Okay, I would not have guessed that. Maddie's served Shabbat dinner in a little while. In a long while. I barely remember how to do it. It'll be great. I know how to make the bread. Part of it. <laughs> how do you make part of a loaf of bread? If you're hosting Shabbat sweetheart, you better get moving. Preparations might take you all afternoon. Really? Just to be safe. I haven't even swept. Get out of here. Get the fire going first thing. I'm excited and a little terrified. After you, Ned, rest the dough. What this kind of advice? What could go wrong? Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. It's you. It's real. Lilith. No, no, please, don't be frightened. My name is Nicodemus. I, I ministered to you, Lilith. I don't answer to that name. I am Mary. I was born Mary. But you were called Lilith, yes? Please, I must go. No, no, please, Mary. I, I am desperate for your help, Mary. I'm a, I'm a Pharisee. I'm visiting from Jerusalem. I am a man of God. And I believe you have experienced... A miracle, Mary. Are you really a Pharisee? Yes. I'm sorry, I wasn't... I'm not here to enforce Jewish law. So how do you know who I am? You really don't remember me at all. I burned incense? I don't remember. It's all a blur. I... I can't go back into that. No, no, I don't want you to. I can't even imagine. But you you are healed. That, that much is clear. I just want to understand how it happened. It makes two of us. <laughs> how long after my visit did you feel the change? It wasn't anything you did. It was someone else. Some... one... else? He called me Mary. He said, I am his. I am redeemed. And it was so? this I don't know his name and even if I did I could not tell you why not his time for men to know has not yet come his time for men <laughs> he performs miracles and seeks no credit what does he look like is he a member of Sanhedrin 
Would you at least know him if you saw him again? <laughs> I don't know why I am sharing this with you. I... I don't understand it myself. But here is what I can tell you. I was one way. And now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. So yes, I will know him for the rest of my life. <laughs> I have to be home to prepare for Shabbat, as I'm sure you do. So mended you're even hosting Shabbat dinner. It will be nothing like yours, I'm sure of that. But I'm going to try. Shabbat Shalom, Nicodemus. Shabbat Shalom, Mary. So I invite you now, if you want to, you can stand. We're going to sing a couple more songs of worship of our Redeemer. as a wisdom to children, come as new sight to the light, come Lord and strength to my weakness, take me so body and mind, come as a
Just saying is true that you 
are who you say you are in your word. You are faithful and loving and good to us. Thank you for who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Children in 4K through secondary are the option at this time to head downstairs for, for Children's Church. Before we get into the, the full sermon this morning, I just want to give you a little bit of a kind of heads up on where we're going over the next stretch when it comes to sermons. The last week we wrapped up the book of, of Galatians, uh, and I, I plan to be gone each of the next two weeks with our, with our new baby, so next week you'll hear from, from Jesse Smith, who some of you know, and then the following week you'll hear from Pastor Ian, a sermon, and then I'll be back. And so when I come back, we're going to start the next in a series that we've been doing on different spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. This time, we'll spend four weeks thinking about what the Bible has to teach us about fasting. I think is one of the more neglected of the, the spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines, right? That Jesus says, when you pray, and we assume, yeah, you should pray. And he also says, when you fast, in the same sort of way, and yet none of us, or few of us, really take fasting seriously. So we're going to talk what the Bible has to teach us about fasting and why we ought to fast in that series. <clears throat> So that's a kind of a neglected practice. And then the next kind of full big series after that, we're going to look at what I think is a, a neglected book of the Bible, which is the book of Ecclesiastes. And I, I was reading a commentary, kind of getting ready, thinking about whether to preach this series. And the commentary I opened with, the very first line in the commentary is, Ecclesiastes may be the most difficult book in the Bible to interpret and preach. And so that almost like, I want you to close the commentary right there. It's like done, right? But then he goes on to talk about why he thinks it's important, the commentator, to preach through and read Ecclesiastes. He says, Ecclesiastes offered a unique perspective on human life, a perspective that is extremely relevant for the church today. And focusing our attention on this life rather than the next, indeed this book contributes to to the correction of an all too frequent imbalance throughout the ages in Christian thinking which has sometimes presented Christianity as if it were more a matter of waiting for something than a matter of living. Moreover, he continues, Ecclesiastes that this, it's relevant especially for our culture because it tackles many of the temptations posed by secularism. Ecclesiastes is the most contemporary book in the Bible. Ecclesiastes is a satiric attack on an acquisitive, hedonistic, and materialistic society. It exposes the mad quest to find satisfaction in knowledge, wealth, pleasure, work, fame, and sex. So I think it's a, a helpful and good book that I'm looking forward to walking through with you. And so that'll be coming up in a couple months here. But this morning, right, there was a kind of strange place in the, in the sermon schedule where I didn't know if I was going to be here or not. And we finished Galatians, but I didn't want to start something new right before paternity leave. So we're doing a kind of one-off sermon on, on Psalm 78. And I've been thinking a lot just with the birth of our child coming up about right, what it looks like to pass our faith on to the next generation. And so this sermon kind of all about that. <clears throat> and so if you've, you've been a, like, around music at all during 
your life, band in school or whatever else, you've, you've likely seen a symbol made by the Ziljan Symbol Company. They make roughly two-thirds of, of all the symbols in the entire world. And the history of the Ziljan Symbol Company is fascinating. So in 1618, there was a man named Avedis, who was an, an alchemist in the court of the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire. So as an alchemist, he was trying to make gold. Right? There was this belief back then that you could combine common or base metals in order to produce noble or precious metals like gold. So he was trying to combine all these different metals to make gold, and, and one day as he was trying to do that, he made an alloy of, of tin, copper, and silver. And that alloy, obviously he, he failed to make gold, but in a happy accident, he, he created an alloy that just so happened to work as a symbol right, that produced a pleasant sound without shattering. Right? Symbols already existed at that time, but, but none sounded as nice or were as resistant to shattering as Avedis' symbol that he made with this new alloy. And so as with his duty as a member of the court of the sultan, he, he presented his discovery to the sultan, and the sultan was so pleased with this discovery that he gave Avedis a new surname. And that surname was Ziljan, which literally means son of a symbol maker in Turkish. So he's, he's given this name, now he's, he's now Avedis Ziljan, and, and five years later he's given permission by the sultan to go off on his own and found a company and start to sell these symbols made with this special alloy. And so in 1623, the Avedis Ziljan symbol company was born. And Avedis began selling his symbols made with this special alloy. For obvious reasons, he kept the exact recipe of this alloy a, a closely guarded secret. And no one could quite replicate it, and no one could make a symbol that sounded quite as nice. And so he, his company grew and expanded thanks to the quality of his symbols. And in 2023, the Ziljan Symbol Company celebrated 400 years of existence. And in all that time, two things haven't changed. One, they still use the same alloy that Avedis discovered back in 1618. And second, the company has never left the Ziljan family. The president of the Ziljan Symbol Company today is, is Craigie Ziljan. He's a member of the 14th generation of Ziljans to run the company. And her daughter is Samantha Ziljan, and she's currently on the board of directors and in line to become the next president after her mother, making her the 15th generation of Ziljans. And like this story, it's kind of a story about how we pass on from one generation to the next things that are important to us. And for us, gathered here as a follower of Jesus. Nothing can be more important to pass on than, than our love of Jesus to the next generation. Jesus is far more precious than some alloy recipe. And like I said, with the birth of, of my next child imminent, I've been thinking a lot recently about what it looks like to pass on my faith to, to my kids and generations beyond them. And of course, like this idea of passing down our faith as something that's occupied the minds of, of God's people for a long time, from the very beginning. 
And so in Psalm 78, the psalmist Asaph composes a, a song to encourage the Israelites to pass on their faith from one generation to the next. And this song also then teaches them how to go about doing that. And by looking at what Asaph has to teach the Israelites, we can learn a lot about what it looks like for us to help future generations know and love Jesus. And what we see in Psalm 78 is this, that hearing stories of God's faithfulness in the midst of sin give future generations reason for hope and obedience. And I preached a sermon on, on this passage as my very first sermon at my, my previous church. At that church, I was, I was a children of family pastor, and I was the first full-time person they had ever hired in that role. And I was brought in kind of to bring fresh perspective and fresh vision to their children's ministry. And at that church, I, I didn't preach very often, like every four months or so. And so when I had to preach for that first time, I I felt the burden to, to choose carefully a passage that would help me reinforce the vision I was trying to, to lead the children's ministry toward in that church. And this is the text I chose. Now, like I am hopefully a better preacher today than I was back then. Like I preached hundreds of more sermons, so hopefully I've learned a thing or two. But what hasn't changed is my belief in the importance and the significance of this passage to teach us how we pass on our faith from one generation to the next. The Psalm 78 is, is 72 verses long in total. Make it the second longest psalm behind Psalm 119. It's the eighth longest chapter in the whole Bible. So we're not going to look at the whole thing this morning, obviously. Instead, we're going to focus on verses 1 through 8, because they serve a kind of an introduction to the psalm, and they tell us why Asaph writes this psalm. With that, I want you follow along with me as we read the beginning of Psalm 78. Starting in verse 1, the psalmist says, My people hear my teaching, listen to the word of my mouth. I will open my mouth with parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. And so in this, these three verses, the psalmist is kind of setting the stage for the psalm. He's telling us why he's writing. And he's writing because he's going to recount things that happened in Israel's past. He's going to remind us, tell us things that happened in the past. And then in verse 4, he starts telling us why. Why is he going to tell us these things that happened in Israel's past? He says in verse 4, We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. So he is, he's recounting these events right, so that they can be, they can be passed down from, from generation to generation, from one generation to the next. So he's going to tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, the deeds of power and the wonders he has done. So that's why he's doing this. He wants to, to tell past events that they will be passed down to the next generation. He continues in verses 5 and 6. He that God decreed statute for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children, so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and in turn, they and they in turn would tell their children. 
like, this is a beautiful picture of, of what spiritual generations looks like. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord so that they would know them, even children yet to be born. And for obvious reasons, that phrase, children yet to be born, has been, been hitting close to home with me this week as we wait for our child to be born. And it, my deepest desire for that child who is about to be born, right, he's days away, maybe even hours away for all I know, from being born, my deepest desire for him is that he would hear stories of what God has done, praiseworthy deeds. That he would indeed see them as praiseworthy and rejoice in those deeds. That he would delight in who God is and what he has done for him. That he would then pass on those deeds to the next generation. My hope for all our kids they would hear stories of what God has done and rejoice in them and pass them on to their children generation after generation. And verse 7 tells us what will happen if we, if we do indeed recount the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord to the next generation. He says, Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget His deeds, but would keep His commands. So the psalmist is telling us that we need to, to tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of God. Teach them the law of God so they would know and put their trust in God and not not forget his, his deeds, but instead would keep his commands. I think the important question in all this is, is why does Asaph feel the need to tell us any of this? Right? This seems so obvious. Of course we want to tell our kids about the great things God has done. Why do the people of Israel need to be commanded to share the glorious act of God with their children? And verse 8 kind of begins to reveal the answer. Verse 8 says this, They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, whose heart was not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to Him. And what this verse kind of hints at, and what the rest of the psalm goes on to reveal and make clear, is that the glorious deeds of God that the psalmist wants passed on, are all deeds about God rescuing Israel in the midst of their own sinfulness. These praiseworthy deeds are all stories of of God being faithful in the midst of the disobedience of God's people. And the psalmist needs to urge us and encourage us to share those kind of stories because on our own, like we don't like talking about our own sin and failure. Makes them, feel, makes them feel shame at what we have done. We don't want to talk about it because we feel shame. And when it comes to telling the next generation, we fear that if we talk about our sin and our failure, either it will lower their opinion of us, and it will be less likely to listen to us, or it will give them ideas. And we don't want to do either one of those things. So we tend to avoid talking about our sin, our failure. The way we typically compensate, then, is to teach our kids about how the Bible says we we should live and not talk about how we have lived. We talk about the rules that that the Bible gives us, but not the way we have failed to keep them. But when we do that, we, we do the next generation a huge disservice. 
Because as I said earlier, like, it's through hearing stories of God's faithfulness in the midst of sin that give future generations reason for hope and obedience. Each year, the, the musician Andrew Peterson puts on a Christmas concert called Behold the Lamb of God. And in this concert, it's all about how the whole Bible, and especially the Old Testament, points us forward to Jesus. And at the beginning of that concert, he has Sally Lloyd-Jones come on stage, and she reads an excerpt from her, from her book, The Jesus Storybook Bible, which is about many of the same thing, how the whole Bible points to Jesus. And part of what she reads is this. Now, some people think the Bible is the book of rules, telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It is about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is the book of heroes, showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away. At times, they are downright mean. And my fear, frankly, it's more than just a fear, something I've noticed as I looked at a lot of children's curriculums and resources when I was a children pastor, there's a strong tendency to, to focus our teaching to kids especially the story from the Old Testament, at the, at the book of rules, or at the book of people who are blessed because they follow the rules. And yes, right, to be clear, like it is good and important and valuable to teach kids the commands of God. Teach them the way, tell the joint that the way life works best because God our creator gave us rules to follow that make life work best. That's important and valuable to teach that. And yes, there are people in the Old Testament who, who do great things in the power of God and to honor God, and they should be celebrated, and we should teach those stories to the next generation. But here's my point. So we talk a lot more about David and Goliath than David and Bathsheba. We talk a lot more about Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac than we do about Abraham, Hagar, and Ishmael or Abraham and Abimelech, where, where Abraham lied and said Sarah was his sister instead of his wife. We talk a lot more about Noah before and on the ark than we do Noah after the ark. We talk a lot more about Joseph and Pharaoh than we do about Judah and Tamar. And if you don't know some of the stories I'm alluding to, right, that's kind of the point. Like we, don't, we don't talk about parts of the Bible where, where God's people do awful things. And yet, if you're like maybe doing a reading plan in 2024, and you've been reading through the first part of the Bible, you've probably gone through Genesis, and it's just amazing to see how much sin and, and brokenness is recorded there. And look, yes, like I acknowledge that there are plenty of good reasons for not going into depth with especially younger kids about some of the sins that are committed in those stories. But the point is that if, if God thought it was important and worthwhile to inspire the author of Genesis to record the flagrant sins of his people, God had a reason for doing that. We shouldn't neglect those stories. We shouldn't neglect the sinfulness of God's people. 
he knew, God knew it was important for, for his people to see his faithfulness in the midst of their sin. And the psalmist, and this psalmist, is showing us the same thing. As I said, those, those first eight verses kind of set the purpose. He's going to recount story from Israel's past that should be passed down to, to the next generation. And then in verse 9, he starts actually recounting those stories. And what stories does the psalmist recount? Is it stories of God's people acting heroically or obediently? No. It's stories of God's people failing, but God being faithful anyway. Let me just read a couple of examples to you. Verses 9 through 11 say, that the men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, bows, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. They forgot what God had done, the wonders he had shown them. And yet God was still faithful. Verses 12 through 16. He did miracles. This is God. God did miracles in the sight of their ancestors, in the land of Egypt, in the region of Zon. He divided the sea and led them through. He made the waters stand up like a wall. He guided them with cloud by day and with light from the fire by night. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them water as abundant as the seas. He brought streams out of a rocky crag and made water flow down like rivers. And yet, verse 17 through 18, but they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the wilderness against the Most High. They faithfully put God to the test by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God. They said, can God really spread a table in the wilderness? And this pattern repeats over and over again in the psalm. The people sin, God remained faithful. God remained faithful, the people sin. Verses 22 through 24. For they did not believe in God or trust in his deliverance. Yet, God gave a command to the skies above and opened the doors of the heavens. He rained down manna for the people to eat. He gave them the grain of heaven. Or one more example, way down in verse 55 and 56. He drove out nations before them and a lot of their lands to them as an inheritance. He settled the tribes of Israel in their homes. But they put God to the test and rebelled against the Most High. They did not keep his statutes. Again, the patterns repeat over and over again throughout the psalm. The people sin. God is faithful. God is faithful to people sin. And these are the stories that the psalmist wants passed on to the next generation. Not because he wants the next generation to, to learn and to, to know that, oh, sin's not a big deal. God is faithful anyway. Not passing these on because he wants these to be a, a model of behavior. But he passes down these stories. These stories of God's faithfulness in the midst of sin because as he said in verse 7, it's these stories that will cause the next generation to put their trust in God and not forget his deeds, but keep his commands. Hearing stories of, of God's faithfulness in the midst of sin is, is what moves us to hope in him. And yet we're slow sometimes to tell and recount stories of our own sin and God's faithfulness in the midst of our own sin. And so in the rest of our time this morning, I just want to briefly think about two reasons why 
think it's important to tell the next generation stories about God's faithfulness in the midst of sin. And the first is this. When we talk about God's faithfulness in the midst of sin, when we tell them stories both from the Bible and from our own lives of God's faithfulness, it teaches the next generation how to, to healthily deal with sin in their own lives. That's a, an important skill because we all sin. We have to have ways of, of knowing how to confront the sin in our lives and deal with it. A lot has been said, rightfully so in recent years, about the number of young adults who have left the church in recent years. And if you look at studies regarding why that is, not knowing how to healthily deal with and confront sin is high on the list. You just think about, right, it's often kids 18, 25 who are the ones who leave the faith, and you think about that time in a, in a young person's life, the time when they're often experiencing newfound levels of independence. And some of them will use that independence to, to make choices and fall into patterns of sin. And in that time, when they fall into patterns of sin, there will come a time when they, they feel the weight of that sin and they have to make a choice about how to move forward. And if all they've heard all their life is these pictures of, of model behavior from the Bible and pictures of rules to be kept, right? there's like no hope there. Right? I've, I've failed to live up to that model, so now what do I do? Like, yes, like we should teach the next generation about David's heroics against Goliath. We should definitely tell that story. We should also teach them how when David was confronted with his sin by Nathan, David didn't choose to run from God, but he instead chose to trust in God's faithfulness in the midst of his sin. David chose to confess and repent, trusting that God would remain faithful. David had a way of, of dealing with his sin through confession and repentance. We need to model and tell of the ways we healthily deal with sin by confessing and, and repenting. Likewise, one of the most frequently said reasons for, for leaving the church among these young people is it's hypocrisy in the church. But hypocrisy is only hypocrisy if we're portraying ourselves as these morally superior people. Rather than portraying ourselves as people who rely on the faithfulness of God as we wrestle with the consequences of sin both in our own life and in the world around us. We must have a way of teaching the next generation how to handle and deal with sin in their lives. That they will sin. That they're your kids. You taught them. Right? Like, we all sin. We all have these, these sins in us and we have to have a way of, of dealing with our sin. We must model and teach confession and repentance. And the story of the Old Testament show us how God is faithful. And we trust that God will be faithful. God will stay with us even in the midst of our sin. That, that frees us to repent and to confess. We don't have to hide our sin out of fear that God will reject us. Because we trust that God is faithful. And so we Teach the stories of God's faithfulness in the midst of sin 
to drive that home. The second reason we need to tell the next generation stories of God's faithfulness in the midst of sin is that nothing better points us forward to Jesus than those stories. When I was a children's pastor at my last church, one of the books that kind of most influenced me when I thought about how to fulfill that role was was a book by Jack Klump and I called Show Them Jesus. There's a quote from that book that at times I, I thought about framing and just hanging somewhere in the children's wing. I never actually did the framing, but like the quote still sticks with me. And it's this. A Jack Klumpenauer in this book is talking about how the importance of showing kids Jesus from all parts of Scripture. And he says this. We've been dispensing good advice instead of good news. Eventually, kids will tire of our, of our, of our advice no matter how good it might be. Many will leave the church. Others will live decent, churchy lives, but without any fire for Christ. We'll wonder why they've rejected the good news, because we assumed they were well-grounded in it. In fact, they never were. Although we told stories of Jesus and his free grace, we watered it down with self-effort. And that's what we heard. That's what they heard. They hear when we teach stories of of the heroes of the Bible, of the rules of the Bible, apart from Jesus, all we're doing is teaching self-effort. So yes, we we must teach those things and encourage our kids to to model their lives after the heroes of the Bible and to, to follow God's commands and laws. Here's what Klumpenauer says. But we must teach good behavior only when we show it flowing from the good news or else kids will choke on moralism. We must teach good behavior only when we show it flowing from the good news of Jesus. And the psalmist, I think, interestingly, says the same thing in verse 7. He said, Then... They would put their trust in God and not forget his deeds, but keep his commands. It's just interesting that he, the psalmist juxtaposes not forgetting God's deeds with keeping his commands. Not, they would not forget his rules, therefore keep his commands. But they would not forget God's deeds, his glory, his praiseworthy deeds. Right? And that would fuel them to keep his commands. And no deed of God is more worthy, more praiseworthy what he did for us in Jesus. By sending Jesus to die for our sins in our place. And we tell our children that story of how even though we are sinful and broken and the world is sinful and broken, God loved us enough. God was faithful to send his Son to live among us, live a sinless life, and then go to the cross and die in our place and take the punishment and penalty for our sins from us and give us eternal life in exchange. When we tell the next generation that praiseworthy deed of God, the result is, naturally, that they would keep His commands out of an abundance of, of gratitude and offer who God is. 
Jesus is the ultimate story of God being faithful in the midst of sin. And Jesus is the ultimate reason we have hope and what fuels our obedience. That we tell stories of God's faithfulness in the midst of sin, especially the story of Jesus. We need to be reminded over and over and over again of what Jesus did and why he did it. Not because we deserved it, not because there's anything good in us, but because God was faithful in the midst of our sin. We need to be reminded of that, not just in word, but also in, in action. And that's the reason why we take communion together. We take communion to, to remind us in, in bodily action to that Jesus died, that his body was broken, that his blood was poured out. When we take the bread, we, we remember that Jesus died and had a body broken for us. We take the juice, we remember that Jesus' blood was spilled for us. So just a minute, we're going to take communion together. As you come out, we're going to come up the side aisles, grab the juice, grab the wafer if you need gluten-free elements. They're in the wicker basket on the back of each table. And then return to your seats either by the middle aisle or the far outside. But before we do, let me pray for us. Father, we praise you and we thank you for all that you've done for us in Jesus. Thank you that though we were sinful, though we had done nothing to deserve it, you remained faithful to your promise to save a people for yourself, to draw people back to you, and you did that through sending Jesus to die in our place. So now as we come and as we take this bread and take the juice, would we remember how you are faithful? When we are faithless, you remain faithful. You loved us enough. Send your son, have his body broken and blood spilled. Would we remember that now? Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When you're ready, may we come, grab the elements, return to your seat, and when everyone is returned to their seats, we will partake together. And while you come, you may sing along with us.
Jesus on the night he was betrayed. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Partake. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake. Father, we thank you for this tangible reminder of your faithfulness in the midst of sin. Thank you for Jesus. We pray that our confidence of our forgiveness would, would fuel us, would motivate us to live lives of confession and repentance. We would not feel the need to hide our sin. Confess and repent and turn to you, seeking to live lives that glorify you, knowing that our sins already been dealt with by Jesus. We thank you for this chance to remember that. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> One thing I forgot to mention on during announcements is that on Communion Sunday we take a special benevolence offering that we used to meet needs in our community um, and in our church family. And so on your way out this morning there'll be someone at the door holding a tray. That benevolence offering can go in those trays, and regular tithing offering can go in the wooden boxes on your way out. But as you go, would you go rejoicing that because of Jesus, you can go confident knowing that our sins have been dealt with, that God is faithful to us even in the midst of sin. You are dismissed.